You're listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast with Joe and Eric Hughes. And now, here's the Hughes Brothers. Welcome into the Win or Hughes podcast, a Daria Sports podcast. I'm your host, Joe Hughes, alongside my brother, Eric Hughes. And it's an all-star break, Rick. We're going to take a look at the 80s pre-all-star break, post-all-star break. I know a lot of people say first half, second half. It's not technically a half, but that's kind of the way we view it. And we'll take a look at some of the performances from the A's that we liked in the first half, some things that were very disappointing. And Maybe some things to look forward to in the second half, and a lot of that focus is going to be what's on the field, but we'll also talk a little bit about what maybe to expect for these position in Oakland and Las Vegas in the second half and maybe for the rest of the year. But Rick, we're hitting the all-star break, and just kind of before we get into anything with the A's, just overall, what do you see when you look at the all-star game? Is that you're looking for the players of the team that you like, or if you like I just want to see what the A's guys are doing. Or do you still find any of that nostalgia of seeing like the best players together? And, you know, how is something like the World Baseball Classic maybe change that where you're now seeing some of these matchups that you kind of used to like crave when you get see a National League or face the American League or outside of a World Series? Now that's kind of more commonplace with, you know, interleague play and the balance schedule, the World Baseball Classic. So you'll see some of these guys face each other, but does it still hold some of that nostalgia for you? I am a fan of the All-Star game. Uh, I think going back to Little League, right, like the All-Stars has always been something kind of special and nice, and you watch it now, and it definitely is something different. It's not a big, highly competitive game. You're not going to hopefully see another Ray Fossey incident where a <laughs> uh, catcher ends up getting their shoulder separated. It's a lot friendlier now. Uh, but it's still fun, and I, I imagine for the pros, it is a big feeling of accomplishment in addition to some of them having extra contract incentives for making all-star teams and things like that. But I think it is fun and a, a big honor for the people that make it. You know, when I was younger, I I did kind of feel like every team should get an all-star and, uh, you know, when they did change those rules, then I did kind of feel like, hey, there's probably some people that have earned it more and they're losing out. So, uh, and that may be the case this year. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what about you? How, what do you feel about for the All-Star break? Home Run Derby included. I still like Home Run Derby. I think that that's a lot of fun. It's one of the things that MLB does get right is the Home Run Derby. And it is you know, what this is supposed to be. It's a showcase event. You know, as much as we may view it differently than the league, it's a showcase event. They have all their stars in one place, huge audience, and it's a place to kind of highlight who these guys are, especially, you know, even in an era of streaming, you don't always get to see these guys, except for like glimpses of when they make an exciting play here or there, or even if they hit a homer. But you know, now you get a chance to kind of really watch some of these guys, and it is really cool even watching your guys do well. Like, think about Yoannis Cespedes in the Home Run Derby, really highlighting himself, you know, to the rest of mm-hmm. baseball for, you know, a team on the West Coast, and it's a small market team in the A's that doesn't draw, you know, a big national audience all the time. So, if you're a fan of that and you're a small market kind of guy, a guy that you always think is like, man, this guy's really good, he's on that level... If they show up and perform at the All-Star Game, I think there is a little bit of pride like, yeah, see, he's just as good as these big market guys that get shown on ESPN all the time. So Mm -hmm. I think there is a little bit of that, maybe more so for teams that are in smaller markets 
than the teams like in Boston or LA or something like that, where this is like, yeah, okay, we don't really care. You know, we, we're big all the time, you know? Yeah, I think there's a difference when you're like uh, LA where your eye is maybe on the championship and you kind of expect that, where maybe if you're uh, another team, that is going to be the highlight of your season there and you kind of already know it. So go and enjoy it. I know I really enjoyed watching Chapman in the home run derby when he had his dad out there pitching. Um, you know, I, yeah, that was cool. He, he didn't go and win it, but when, when you've got a horse in the race, it's always a little more entertaining. So, uh, congratulations to Brent Rooker. Happy to see him get that, uh, kind of going back to what you're saying, you know, he's probably not going to play a very big role, right? Like who knows, maybe he'll have an at bat where you never know what kind of role he's going to play. Right. But I mean, he made it as a DH. So, uh, you know, it's not like. Oh, he's going to be the the starter, you know, and you're going right. to get to see him a lot. You know, I'm sure we'll get to see him and, and who knows what he'll do. He's kind of caught in some fire since he's gotten that nod. So uh, I think it's probably been a little good for his esteem and uh, hopefully he'll carry that into the game and for the second half of the season. I thought one thing was interesting. The A's did a good job. They posted the video on social media of Mark Kotze giving the news that Brent Rooker had made the all-star team, that he was voted in by his peers if you haven't seen the video, I've got it on my Twitter feed, which you can find at Vegas Joe Hughes. And it's Mark Cossey in front of the room saying, you know, if you made an all-star team, hold your hand up. And, you know, if you made two all-star team, you know, he's got guys, you know, putting their hands down slowly. If you made like a high school all-star team or a college all-star team. And eventually, you know, he gets to, if you made a big league all-star team, oh, Brent Rooker, keep your hand up. You know, and like, that's the way he broke it in there. And then Brent Rooker made a little speech and he talked about, you know, this kind of imposter syndrome that he was feeling. Like, he didn't really quite feel, you know, that he deserved A to be in the big leagues, let alone be an all-star, and that he was almost ready to give up on his dream because it wasn't really going anywhere. And a year later, he's an all-star. And I did wonder, as he said that, if maybe he would have some of that confidence back and maybe he would start to believe again, relax again, and believe that, you know, I can be that guy I was early in the season when I was leading baseball and OPS. Maybe not to that level, but kind of find more of a norm where he's hitting above 200 and feel comfortable in his own skin that he does belong. And really, you and I both know confidence is key. And if you lose it, it can be devastating. And for these guys out there, the way baseball can roll over you, if you lose that confidence and so you don't believe in yourself, it's going to roll right over you like a steamroller. And if maybe making this all-star not voted in by the players, this was not like a fan vote. It's not a big like swell of Oakland people voting him in. It's not an accident. It was the players who voted him in as a DH behind only some guy named Shohei Otani. I don't know if, you know, he's a big deal or not. But, he's a pitcher, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I wonder if that does maybe unlock Brent Rooker a little bit because... You do bring up a good point. When you're a kid, you do want to have at least one guy from your team on there, especially when your team's bad. But when you're an adult, you start looking at fairness a little bit and start thinking like, well, you know, like there is some guy that isn't making the all-star team because, you know, this bad team has to have one representative. And that is unfortunate, especially if you think that, you know, they probably potentially have contract incentives tied to that and they could be losing out. Um but, you know, baseball, as we've seen, like as a kid, you kind of glorify it and you romanticize it. 
And the more you look into it and you see baseball's dark side, you know, the more you're kind of like, ugh. And so I I do appreciate that they do have that, like you said, for the kids, right? Like the kids all over the country that are playing Little League and and Lightning and, and wanting to one day go and be those guys, you know, the ones that are still in their yard playing, going, all right, two outs, bottom of the ninth, you know? And so having that little midsummer classic there, I think it's great. Uh, I, I, I'm always excited, always excited to see who makes the list. Um, and you know, a lot of former A's, you're seeing a lot of former A's on the list this year. And I know that's something that we've been talking about, but they've really been breaking out Murphy having a potential dark horse MVP season. So really, really playing well over there in Atlanta, Matt Olson, Jonah Heim, Marcus Simeon, Matt Chapman. These are all guys that the A's at some level, maybe not Jonah Heim, were hoping were going to be their core of an actual World Series championship team, and they just weren't able to get it together. They did have a good, you know, run. You know, it's not like they didn't have opportunity, and they just weren't able to kind of get it together for whatever reason. But uh, you're right. And the other thing I'd like to see from the All Star game in the actual game, bring back when the players wear their own jerseys. You know, like I I get why they have that National League and American League jersey. Have you ever? seen anybody wearing that like oh yeah this is when it was in Colorado this was when it was in San Francisco I've got the American League yeah I mean maybe you get that for your player if you've got a guy it's like he's an all-star but you know just get the patch on the sleeve and let them wear their jerseys highlight that team a little bit more it's not like it's one of these situations like you're gonna have one team wearing the colors one team wearing the whites It's not like a situation where you're going to get confused and be like, oh, I was going to throw it to second base, but I was like, man, that jersey looked a little weird. So like, do I throw to the guy with the helmet or the guy with the gloves? (laughs) I I can't figure it out. Right. No, I hear you. Uh, I kind of like that too. Then you get to represent your team, but then have like a special all-star cap, you know, and and Mm -hmm. you can differentiate that way, I think. So I hear that. I guess that is an argument for keeping the road grays, uh, you know, because I know I've earlier said they can go and teams can just keep their colors, have your whites and your colors. So that way you would have a little bit, maybe too much. I'm with you on that. Gray uniforms are my least favorite in baseball. Now, for me right now, for Oakland, it is my favorite because that's because the one that says, says Oakland. Oakland across the chest. So, so does the Kelly Green. So does okay, the Kelly Green. Okay, though. I don't have a Kelly Green one though. So I I do, but it's a uh, it's a replica of the Chapman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One. So yeah, still still a favorite. I, I do kind of go back and forth on the each team getting one. You know, and and I know that baseball has shown some flexibility in the roster. Like they've created these kind of like alumni spots for those historic players that may be retiring like last year was Albert Pujols you know it's going to be Miguel Cabrera's final year and kind of creating an extra spot so that each you know team can get these guys that were all-stars perennial all-stars one of the greatest but you know they're older now they're not going to be there and kind of give them that nod so you can recognize them a little bit give them an at-bat because again it comes down to what the game is for you a showcase right you want it to be fun And you want to see some events in there. And there is one event I do want to see in the All-Star game, now that we're talking about it. I think they do this in Korea. It might be Japan, um, where they have like a bunting game. And they have these mats out in front of home plate. And it's kind of like a little bit of curling, a little bit of bunting, where you've got a bunt and you've got to try to get it to the middle. Then the other team gets to come up there and try to like knock your ball out. And so it's a little, Mm. you know, curling bocce ball and uses a skill that, 
the A's desperately need, which is bunting. But it'd be kind of a cool thing to see. You know, I don't know if teams want to do that because maybe there's some risk to guys, you know, hurting their fingers or something like that. And maybe, you know, breaking a finger in an all-star game event. But it does look cool. I've seen the highlights on social media and, you know, I don't think it's going to displace the home run derby. But it brings a little sense of drama when you're watching a guy try to drop that butt and knock it down. And it just kind of is one of those unifying things that I think happens in humanity, whether it's a small circle, like a party or something like that. When you're watching something really small and stupid and everyone's getting really into it, you know, like way bigger than it needs to be. You know, I think that is one of the really cool things, right? Like not every all-star is a big home run hitter, right? Everyone brings a different skill set and being able to showcase that skill set, I think would be a really cool thing. Um, Similar to uh, the NBA all-star, instead of just doing the dunk contest, they've got three-point contests, things like that. I know I saw a video uh, a while back of Ichiro, just these bats were standing upside down and he was just gunning those bats down, right? So it would be cool to see something like that where you're seeing like accuracy from guys and where guys really get to showcase their arm or different things like that, or even see some of those position players, you know, going for who can throw the fastest, right? We were always in awe at Chapman throwing one from, you know, beyond the third baseline, still getting the out. How fast is he actually throwing? Who actually does throw Mm -hmm. the fastest, you know? So that would be really cool to see that uh, because there are so many great skills. And we just got to see that with uh, Ellie De La Cruz, is that his name, over in Cincinnati, who stole second, third, and home in the same 20 seconds, you know? (laughs) Insane. And so just, you know, and that's something that we talked about with Ruiz is being a potential game changer with that speed and having those players be able to showcase those unique skills skills that do make them the cream of the crop yeah and by the way talking about ellie de la cruz i don't know if you're aware of this you know he's a big guy right all this athleticism all this skill he's a twin his twin oh wow is five eight <laughs> wow so talk about losing the genetic lottery there is yeah like, and you know what and there's always that sibling rivalry and you do want your sibling to succeed and watch it even mm-hmm. if there's like a little bit it's one thing when you see two brothers and like they're both like six five one of them made it one of them didn't maybe it's hard work maybe it's not it's another thing when somebody becomes like something that you can't have any control over when they become like six three 220 pounds and you're like what the hell is this how did i wind but yeah then they try and go out and he's like, no, we're twins. I swear. <laughs> You're buying yeah, the drinks. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito style twins. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. Oh, man. That's uh, funny. But yeah. That's and, good. you know, you bring up a good point about Ruiz and Brent Rooker gets the nod. He was voted in. That's kind of how he got in there. But it was really a 33 game stretch for Brent Rooker that got him in the way he started this season on a tear. You know, he was on fire for about 33 games. He had 319, 11 homers, and 29 RBI in his first 33 games. He still leads the A's in homers with 14, RBI with 43, and OPS, which is on base and slugging percentage together. But in the last 43 games, he's hitting just 174, four homers, 13 RBI. So we were talking about this, you know, early on when we did a pod a few weeks ago, Brent Rooker was easily going to be the A's all-star. He had that all locked up. He struggled for over a month and a half now. And in that time, a guy who has kind of been a little bit more steady is Estuary Ruiz. Now, he's on the injured list now, so it's kind of a moot point, but he's also leading baseball 
in a category that they wanted to see highlighted this year. He is MLB's stolen base leader heading into the All-Star break, and he is on a tear. Now, he's got the hurt shoulder, so like we said, it's a moot point, but would you have been more surprised if Ruiz was the A's All-Star? Because to me, the way that Rooker has struggled outside of the vote, he made a lot of sense for a guy that the league may have wanted to see highlighted in this game. I think one of the things is this is the kind of year where you kind of feel like any of the A's that made the team probably took it from a more deserving player. And so I, I as much as it pains me to say it, I do think like, you know, it, we got a guy because everyone gets one, right? I think what Ruiz has the potential to bring is that game-changing um, ability on the bases and to get to highlight that, right? And that that could potentially be something where, hey, it's a tie game and and we're going in it to win it, you know? So um, I, he had been, I think, the most consistent player, you know, he, we all know like the Ricky special, right? But it was almost like he was starting to have the Ruiz special. Whereas if there's a guy on second base, he's cranking a double down yeah. the line, you know, like you were just getting so used to seeing that and he's not hitting for power. They're not power doubles, which, you know, goes back to that being able to highlight your skills because he, he definitely does bring a different set of skills. Now I I'm, you know, I, I I'm kind of dissing the A's a little bit and I apologize and no disrespect to, to Rooker because he has been out there hitting those bombs. And I do think, you know, maybe confidence took a, a little bit of a shot. I, I know that I saw some threads online where people were chirping him online and he's kind of yeah. chirping them back. And you do wonder how much that gets in the guy's heads. And so I, I do think that it has been great to see him find that power and find that swing again and find that confidence. So if Ruiz had gotten the nod, I, I wouldn't have been too surprised because I kind of felt like he had been the most consistent uh, performer and he brought a unique skill set. You know, as you said, league leader in uh, stolen bases there. So um, it, definitely worthy of an all-star nod, you know, from this A's crop. Um, 43 and, stolen you know, so bases, you know, that's nothing to, to sneeze at because you look around baseball, there's only one other guy that's in the 40s and it's he and Ruiz so they it's not like he's just sneaking by when there's a bunch of guys just changing the leaderboard every day he's running away with it literally and you know when you're you're thinking about this is something baseball's tried to highlight and they've changed the rules a little bit with the amount of pickoffs you can do and and the bases being bigger then you go back to Langoliers how many guys he's gunned out compared to the next second guy when this is designed to help the runners he has been picking these guys just excellent throws in front of the bag, just doing incredible job, right? So I kind of thought he was, uh, you know, maybe somebody that could have snuck in there, you know, just because of that cannon that he had. So, um, yeah, it, it, it'll be exciting to see. I think there were guys that had potential, mostly because everybody gets one, you know, and yeah. uh um, of those guys, I did kind of think it was probably Noda, Rooker, Ruiz with Langoliers as maybe a, a sneak in dark horse. And Langoliers, you know, it's just because his offense is down. And, you know, I give him a little bit of a pass because this is his first year as the full-time catcher for the A's. A bunch of guys that he hasn't caught before. It's not like these are guys he came through mm -hmm. the minors with. He knew them all really well. You know, limited experience with most of these guys, even in AAA before getting called up last year. And last year, he got a lot of his time as a DH. You know, Sean Murphy was the primary catcher, and that's the way that they broke Langoliers in. So 
the way that his offense has kind of struggled this year, I give him a little bit of a pass on that, especially for this year, because you're not necessarily learning a new position, but you're learning it at a new level with new rules, a revamped pitching staff, especially the way that the A's struggled early this year when guys just weren't able to perform. So there's a lot on his plate, you know, at home plate, so to speak. So I give him a little bit of a pass on that. He still is hitting some homers. And you bring up a good point because we, we were highlighting maybe the first half. There's really three guys to highlight from the first half. It's Ruiz, it's Noda, and it was Rooker who we've talked about a little bit and some struggles and as of late. Was there anything else for you other than maybe Mason Miller that jumped out in this unofficial first half leading into the All-Star break that had you maybe excited for something that you could see translate into the second half, maybe outside of Ruiz and Noda and Rooker? Because you know, those have been the guys that are obvious that you're like, okay, there is something there with these guys. I mean, Miller definitely stands just uh, a head above the rest, right? With what he was doing before he got injured to take that uh, no-hitter through seven and then to be pulled. It's not like he lost the no-hitter, you know? So he just had so much potential. That was definitely the shining light. Um, This season, it just comically kind of turned into like a what what could get worse and it it became like don't ask because it's gonna happen and you know we haven't even talked about the perfect game that the yankees had you know and uh it for me it's almost like i felt like i've been kicked so much this season like i've been down going okay i'm down and you keep getting kicked that like that perfect game like I wasn't watching or listening I was on a little vacation and I didn't even think about it had a buddy who's a casual fan uh let me know and uh even talking to him he was like man that kind of hurt my baseball soul and he's a casual fan he's been to the Coliseum grabbed himself an A's hat you know and so this season has just kind of it's been just ugly it really has right and so then to have a perfect game thrown against your team and just kind of feel numb about it because we're still everyone's preoccupied about vegas you know so this first half has definitely been forgettable and uh you know it's just so ruined by what an amazing opening night it was and incredible vibes to get that win to start out against shohei otani and to think hey maybe it's not that bad and then man it got ugly quick but what about you what what are your lasting memories of this first half it got past a point where it was like you can embrace something that could be so bad you just kind of embrace it for how bad it is. And you're like, you know what? Let's see how bad it can be. But you're right. It is a little bit like Avengers Age of Ultron when Thor is like, that's all you got. And then, you know, all the robots show up and Captain America is like, you had to ask, you know, like, so it has gotten to be one of those seasons because, you know, I've got some of the numbers right here. I mean, it's not just like, man, this is like a bad team. It is an historically bad team by A standards. These at the all-star break, with the second worst winning percentage before the All-Star break in franchise history, not just Oakland history, athletics history. They have the highest ERA of any Oakland team hitting the All-Star break, and they've allowed more home runs than any other athletics team before the All-Star break. They are on par with the Royals, kind of going back and forth for the worst record in baseball this season, and that you know, it was only because the A's had an eight-game win streak to catch up because they were so far behind for most of this year. 
you know, and you and I keep trying to look for these little highlights, these nuggets, because it's weird. Even as bad as this team is, I am more optimistic about this team turning it around than last year's team because there are some guys like Ruiz, like Noda that can represent the future, Langoliers, uh, Mason Miller. These guys are rookies. They're young, but they have great potential, a higher ceiling. You know, that's why I think if you're an A's fan in the second half, you're wondering, like, how do we move around some of these guys that have been valuable in the past, even if they're guys we really like, like a Tony Kemp, a Jace Peterson, a Letmus Diaz, veterans who have a little bit of time left on their deal, but the A's are definitely leaning towards the future. And they've got a way, how valuable is it to have a veteran on this team versus giving an at-bat to a Jordan Diaz, versus giving an at-bat to a Nick Allen, you know, and giving these guys a chance you know, we're going to be bad. So what's the point of having Jace Peterson, Aletmus Diaz, and Tony Kemp get these at-bats to stabilize things? The only thing that you would want them out there for is maybe to help the pitchers a little bit by having somebody out there. But Nick Allen plays better defense than you're going to see from Aletmus Diaz or Jace Peterson. So that's kind of a moot point. If he's only going to hit 125, I don't care. I'd rather see him get some run than maybe some of these other veteran guys that aren't going to be around a year or two years from now. We have seen bad A's teams in the past, but we're still big A's fans. And so it was like, oh no, th- this little podcast will still be fun. We get to talk about the A's. But, you know, with the stadium move, with how historically bad they are right now, it is just like... Sometimes I have to force myself to watch the games. It's challenging. I listen on the radio. It's just like a habit for me. And I don't know where Ken Korak has been, but that's been another thing that I've been missing. You know, it's like the things that have drawn me to this and make me come back, all of those are missing, you know? And now the, the things that really keep me invested are my kids that are singing, take me out to the ball game, let's go, hey, sell the team. They just want to go see Stomper, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I do have free tickets lined up, so I will be going back, but it has been hard to be invested this year, and I I can't remember another year where it's been this hard. We have seen challenging times. We are hopeful that the A's will you know, make it a more exciting second half. And back in the early 2000s, they were a second half team, right? But that was also playing to win divisions and wild cards. And this is just like, have some respect and come out with a somewhat decent (laughs) record with a somewhat, like it, it has gotten beyond laughable. And it's hard to say it because like, you support the guys going out there. We we love the team. We love the guys, all of them. Tony Kemp, Noda, you know, uh, and you know they're not going out there to bomb. Some of them probably have been brought up a little early, right? Because it's a younger team. And now are we going to bring more guys up early? Well, they'll probably struggle. But we all know as fans, we have just been like completely disrespected. And it's just been really unfortunate, right? But we're all hooked. We're all hooked on this game and all hooked on some hopium that it's not over yet. You know, seeing the Chronicle say, hey, the A's in uh, Oakland are, are still talking on the side, you know? So I don't know. It, it's been a rough go. Um, I still watch. I still listen. But that that's kind of where I am. In the past, we've seen these bad teams. You were waiting for the young guys to come up and you wanted to be a little invested in those guys because you knew at some point they were going to play in Oakland. 
And with what's happening with the potential stadium lease ending next year and the potential move to Vegas, it is a little harder to get invested in guys that you think you might never see be that good or by the time they get that good, it could be in another city like Las Vegas or maybe playing in a temporary place, you know, a minor league ballpark or playing somewhere else while they try to build a ballpark in Las Vegas instead of in Oakland. So, you know, it, it is a little tougher, I think, to fully lean in and embrace, you know, what's going to happen with Tyler Soderstrom or Zach Geloff or Lawrence Butler or Freddie Tarnock, guys that you might not see, you know, right away. Or when you do see them, they're just kind of cutting their teeth at the big league level. And by the time they actually reach that, you know, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Sean Murphy type star level, just like we're seeing right now, it could be with another team. And that's always been one of the tough things because A's fans have been waiting for a long time for that cycle to end and to someday have the team invest in long-term deals for the Olsons, Chapmans, Murphys, whatever generation that was, they were waiting for that to end. It's gone on for 20 plus years. But beyond that, it's no, no longer, you know, watching Matt Olson and now watching him crush these freaking bombs <laughs> over in Atlanta, right? And just being like, man, that used to be our guy. It doesn't help us now when he crushes a bomb. But now you're not just watching individual players. You're potentially watching the entire franchise, right? And it, it's the, the thing is like, okay, Olsen's gone. Now you've got Noda, right? Like that's like that meme, like we want McDonald's. We got McDonald's at home. Well, we got it, but it's not the same, right? right. Yeah. This is nothing. You will have nothing, right? We're going to have the Martinez Sturgeon. No disrespect to them. I might be a new Martinez Sturgeon fan. I'm going to get out there maybe and go see a game, but that that might be what we have left, right? And so it's it's kind of scary as an A's fan, and it, it is definitely frustrating. And, uh, you know, even going down to things of like the giveaways and these sunglasses that they just gave away and these pit vipers and to see like that caused a little bit of a commotion, right? Because online they changed it. It did say pit viper sunglasses where if you're not aware, they, they're a name brand sunglasses. They're not Ray-Ban. They go for about fifty to a hundred dollars a pair. But if you're putting that brand out there, and like, uh, like my kids are into it, right? And like, that's kind of the generation. If you look at them, you might go like, okay, those are pretty ugly. But the more you see them, they kind of grow on you. Then to say like we're gonna have that, and then you change it to sunglasses giveaway, and people online start this thread, and uh, a lot of people were upset, you know, like, hey, I was gonna go, I didn't get those. And then the amount of people that did get them were were very few, you know. So it's just like everything that they can do to upset the fans, they've been doing, right? And then you try and go, well, hey, at least we're watching some baseball, and they just constantly find a way to lose, you know, these last few series before Red Sox, they actually won two in a row. So um, now they I know wrote, what a surprise. You have to say, like, they actually won two in a row. Yeah. Th- yeah. And, uh, and then they rolled into Beantown and uh, back to business. Yeah, as it hasn't gone so. well. Well, then let's look at some things in the second half. And even with what we just talked about in mind about maybe some of these guys that it is harder to get invested in. You know, we've already seen some of these top prospects. We saw Mason Miller, their top pitching prospect. They've got guys that have been their top prospects. Shea Langoliers is up. You know, we've seen Ken Waldachuk kind of struggling, but finding a little bit of a role and more consistency out of the bullpen as of late. And some of the guys that the A's were really counting on to be that next core, that middle of the order, and actually star potential, Tyler Sodomstrom was just in the MLB Futures All-Star game for the second time. You had Lawrence Butler 
in the Futures game as well. Zach Geloff has been hitting the cover off the baseball. I think he's got like five homers in his last eight games for AAA. And this is a guy that the A's are counting on to be kind of, you know, middle of the order type star potential players for them in the future. So if in the second half we do start to see an influx of that young talent, the A's start finding ways to do that, would that be something that maybe brings a little bit more interest to you than what you've seen so far is where you said it's a struggle to watch these games. It's hard that there might be something more for you to invest your time in when you're watching a Tyler Sodomstrom rather than watching, I don't know, a guy like say, uh, a Letmus Diaz. I really, really wanted to like a Letmus Diaz. You know, we, we got a guy that was a former, uh, all-star. And, yeah. No knock know, on him. Really he's he's a veteran, but it's just like with this well, A's team I, I is really right now. Yeah. He was doing, I really liked what he was doing with his batting gloves, you know, but it's just kind of felt like I've got to know you for more than your batting gloves. And, and I don't, you know, there's, there's not enough that you see baseball wise that, you know, you get excited about to watch him. And like you said, like he, he's not the best out there defensively and he's not bringing the best with his bat. And you know that he is taken up a good amount of that payroll there and you just wonder like why and not that there's a lot of payroll to to you know complain about there but you just think why right and you do worry you you don't want to bring guys up too early and then they struggle and it affects their confidence like we know could happen but just like we saw with uh mason miller right like if you're just dominating down there you're probably ready and when you compare to this ace team, it's like, hey, even if you're like not the best in the major leagues, you're, you've got a strong chance to be the best one on this team. So you come on up and let, I, yeah, I think that would get me a little excited just because like you, you don't know what their ceiling is yet. With Diaz, with Peterson, I feel like I've seen their ceiling and that they've hit it and the ceiling is going lower and lower. Well, and it's going to be interesting because they're going to have to figure out what to do with Tyler Soderstrom. That's one of the things that's really kind of you know, impacted his ability to get to the majors this year. Langoliers is going to get the bulk of playing time at catcher, which is what they want. Ryan Noda has established himself as the everyday first baseman, and with good reason. He gets on base, and he's been productive. So where do you play Tyler Soderstrom if you do call him up? You've got to find at-bats for him, because right now, he's getting more of a benefit being in AAA, playing every day, and you don't want to call him up to have him sit on the bench you're going to maybe do a little bit like what they did with Langoliers last year when he came up. He got a lot of at-bats as a DH, and then they found ways to get him into the lineup regularly. You know, even if it has his DH or as a catcher, he was playing regularly. So you're going to have to do that with some of these guys. But, you know, the A's probably view it as a good kind of problem to have too many good players and try to figure that out. But you do have to figure it out because... A good problem is still a little bit of a problem. Do you see the A's, anybody potentially getting moved from the A's? Any contenders that might see somebody either out of the minor leagues that they go, hey, maybe this guy would be ready and we'll bring him up. Or even you look at Fuji, he's found a little confidence or maybe somebody's like, hey, let's make this guy our closer. I think catching is where you're going to see. They've now got, you know, Manny Pena's up. He, you know, was who the A's thought was going to be their backup catcher this year. He was hurt for most of the season. He's playing Carlos Perez has been much better than the A's were expecting. He's been able to hit the ball. And, you know, if there's a team out there looking for catching depth, the A's have it. And that's a premium position. So I think the A's would like to unload some of that catching depth they currently have on the big league roster and potentially 
open up some more at-bats in a slot for a guy like Tyler Sodenstrom. Other than that, you're looking around and maybe Trevor May is the guy that could be moved because he's found a little bit of confidence as a reliever. You know, I think that was the A's plan all along with some of these guys like Diaz and Peterson and, you know, even Manny Pena's to have some veteran depth that you might be able to trade at the trade deadline when some of these young guys start getting ready to kind of take those roles on and maybe kind of replenish your minor league system. But it just hasn't worked out because, you know, like we've been talking about, the veterans haven't really done their job as well as you were hoping or maybe expecting. But, you know, that's going to be a big one to watch, Rick, as we're running out of time here, is that you're getting to this point in the season where the A's are going to start maybe looking at their roster a little differently and thinking about some guys like veteran guys. Is Tony Kemp going to finish the season on this A's roster? He's a veteran that they really like. They like his leadership. They like his mentorship. But, you know, is it going to be better to make that transition if you can't find a trade for a guy like Tony Kemp? Does he get moved and maybe picked up by a contending team where he can go have a role for a team that's actually in playoff contention, which is probably what he wants at this point in his career. And, you know, the A's need to open up some room in their roster for these young players. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens. This is the Win or Hughes podcast. You can find us on YouTube. You can also find us on social media at Vegas Joe Hughes on Twitter and threads. And you can find us on Twitter at Win or Hughes. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Winner Hughes podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe.